0: Hello, my name's Luke Mitchell. Welcome to Founder Chats with B Purple, the University of Brighton's Entrepreneurship Support Service. In this series, we interview business owners, many of them graduates of the university, most of them in the first five years of their ventures, to find out the secrets of their success so far. How did they get started? What challenges have they faced and how did they overcome them? And what advice and inspiration can they offer to others looking to go it alone? In this seventh episode, I meet with multi-award winning entrepreneur and investor, Matt Turner. Matt is CEO of The Creative Group, a global group of companies that includes Creative Pod, a full-service marketing and design agency based here in Sussex. Matt has been a Be Purple speaker and he's a long-time supporter of youth entrepreneurship. In this interview, he talks about how he manages running four different companies at once, how he got started in business, and how he sells his services to clients and keeps the work coming in. We met at Cafe Coho near Brighton Station, so expect some background noise. Here's Matt Turner. Do you want to start by telling us what you do today. What are your businesses? I know you've got your fingers in quite a few pies. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your what are your roles in those businesses? So um,
1: I'm effectively the CEO of the Creative Group. Uh, the group's made up of uh, five companies essentially, and for my sins, I'm the CEO of all five. So that has its pressures, um, but it also means that I can kill lots of birds with one stone at the same time. So. Um, Just to run you through those businesses, one is called Creative Pod, so a team of of ten of us, twelve of us, and we're effectively a full service uh, marketing, PR and creative company um, that basically become our clients' outsourced marketing department, so all of our clients are on a fixed fee and we uh, we look after all of their creative marketing and, and PR requirements. Um, The second is an organisation called The Print Shop. It's uh, actually a company I purchased back in 2008. And there were were a supplier of mine at the time that were about to go under and hit the wall. Um, And rather than sort of let them uh, sink and die, I thought uh, it would be a good opportunity to buy them. At the time, everybody told uh, told me I was crazy, I was mad. Um, But they, I guess, didn't know what I knew in in the sense of what was around the corner. And how print would complement the creative services that we we currently offered, and we can almost offer print as a lost leader to generate more uh, to generate more revenue for other parts of the business. Um, the third company is called Echo, and it it came off the back of uh, of me selling an old company of mine. So I used to be the co-owner of Crawley Town Football Club. I had fifty percent of the club. I owned it from 2013 through to 2016. Um, and f- you know, frightfully enough, I was probably the youngest owner. In Europe, of a football club at that time, so there was big responsibilities on my shoulders, and um, and it was a bit of a boyhood dream, really. So, Echo is essentially an agency that sells and brokers uh, sponsorship and partnerships and brand activations with some of the the, the world's biggest sports teams, uh, music venues, entertainment outlets, and. You know, we're working with people like Arsenal, Man United, the Great North Run series, Tough Mudder, the UFC, and that's just in the UK. Um, In the last 18 months, I've opened an office in New York, uh, and I've opened an office in LA, and in the States now, we're working with people like the Houston Dynamos, LA Galaxy, um, the Barclays Centre, T-Mobile Arena, so some of the, the biggest and sexiest brands uh, on the planet. I'm, I'm also really fortunate that my head of North America is a very well versed and experienced individual. Um, Gina's, yeah she, she's uh, an incredible person actually. She was a global events director for American Express, she was head of sponsorship for Macy's, so you know she's got an incredible CV. She's the only person in the business actually that spent her career client side. So that provides a massive, massive insight um, into the business and um, one of my other companies is a non-for-profit organization called Young Startup Talent uh, that's worked very closely with the university over the years to inspire 16 to 25 year olds to start their first business and uh, that started in 2010 off of the back of me winning Young Entrepreneur of the Year at the time and, uh, and it's gone from strength to strength. We've had over 140 startups come through it and um, that's kind of very much my sort of philanthropic Giving back, looking after that next young entrepreneur, just like somebody took a punt on me, um, and
0: and the results from that have been incredible. So with all that going on, what are you doing on a daily basis, I and mean, how do you prioritise? Where's your attention? My my
1: day is is ran meticulously, so um, borderline OCD to be fair. So my day straddles three time zones. So it will start at seven in the morning through to about four thirty in the afternoon. I will do, on average, four to five one-to-one appointments across that period, and they're anywhere between sort of an hour and a half to two hours each. And um, and then between those appointments, I'm often travelling, so I'll have conference calls in between those appointments. And then if I ever get anywhere early uh, or finish anywhere early, I can tether my laptop, catch up on all my emails. So I'm super, super productive. Then my New York life kicks in at about 5pm through to about half 7 and then a couple of times a week I'll do an LA shift where it'll go through to the unearthly hallows of the night. Uh, But that doesn't happen fairly fairly often so it's okay. Technology allows it to be fairly pain free to be honest. But to sum my role up, the best way to describe it is I am merely the maitre d'. Yeah, that that is my role. I'm the major Every I make sure everybody gets fed and watered. I make sure everybody pays their bill. And now and again, if I really like you, I might pour the odd glass of wine. But I don't do any cooking. Not anymore. That's not my skill set. My skill set is putting people
0: together and delivering value and making things happen. Okay so that brings us back to when you first started so you started your first business when you were only 20 what what do you sort of recognize as your skills then and how did you apply those to, to starting a business um yeah i mean you know
1: what i essentially did when i first started yeah i was in my bedroom and uh, i tried to outsource as much of the doing as possible so to find you know other people like myself super talented but couldn't do the things I do, and I couldn't certainly do the things they do. And if I could get a markup on their time, then I could essentially farm more work and time to outsource, and then anything I could do myself that was of an acceptable standard, I would, I would do myself and save money across cost there. Um, but it, I think it's, it, for me, the last sort of decade, decade and a half have all been about building my contacts, building my network, because I don't really sell anything, I just try and solve problems, and even if you solve problems that are nothing to do with marketing or creative, people remember you, and they see you as like a go-to person to deliver, and for me the only two things that matter are delivering and adding value, and if you do those two things, fun enough money comes pretty much fairly quickly after it, along with success and all the other nice things that are, are attributed to that, but it's not without sacrifice,
0: okay? so you're 33 now yeah I'm a bit um, old <laughs> you've 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 moved forward very quickly and you, you know, you've got five businesses on the go you, you must have faced a lot of resistance and challenge in that time what are some of the, sort of the key challenges that you've faced and how have you overcome them I think um,
1: challenges were faced probably from an early age even before I left school where I would always have these big dreams and be surrounded by lots of people from institutional backgrounds who would say you could never do that and I think that was always a driving force to say well I will show you that I can Um, so I'm very much motivated by people who say that's impossible Um, that still drives you today absolutely I have to I often uh, re-educate people that there's a very big difference between impossible and improbable Um, and usually it's impossible to them because they can't do it. It would be a bit like me saying it is impossible to run the 100 meters in under 10 seconds. Well, it would be for me, but it's not for somebody else. Um, So, yeah, I mean, challenges and hurdles can range from stuff that you just would never expect to happen. So, you know, things like, I remember being in the Middle East once and giving a really, really important presentation to Uh, 13 14 board members and halfway through the meeting in the middle of the desert the air-conditioning breaks and I'm stood in front of them wearing a white shirt by the end of my presentation was see-through you know Um, just so many kind of examples that you could never ever prepare for but that British show must go on spirit, kicks in and you just get it done. And I think that's what differentiates someone who's entrepreneurial and someone who's a, a, a corporate suit or someone who's probably working at a council. It's that risk to reward. And, um, and, and that belief that you can deliver and going through a little bit of pain um, is a small price to pay. I think as well, it's the focus that's needed and the sacrifice that you're willing to make along the way. And some people aren't willing to do that, whether it would be friends, girlfriends, holidays, luxuries. Um, but if you know what you want and you're super focused and you stay focused, then you
0: know anything can happen. What other sort of things do you mean, drive you and drive, have driven your success? What's been important in your business career? I think
1: um, I think there's like this inner sort of battle with myself. So I live very much two lives, the life at work and the life at home. And at home I'm quite quiet, I live quite a simple life, I don't have very big expectations, I just want peace. Yeah, at work I you know, I'm I'm at the front end of the thick of it and you know, trying to constantly push boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, can you switch off at home?
0: Yeah. I
1: can leave it at the door now, but it's taken me ten years to learn how to leave it at the door. Um and that's taken a long, long time. But the radar for opportunity never switches off. Right. So whilst I can switch it off, that radar is always
0: still ticking in case something give, comes up. Give me some examples about radar in action. You were talking about how when you've gone on holiday in the past, often that's you've kind of rolled it into some kind of business opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, loads of times. So I went on holiday to Dubai for a week and I stayed for two years. I won a 100 grand project on holiday. And I was literally, I was down to my last few coffers as the recession started to take its hold. Um, And I told these guys I could deliver it in two languages, in English and Arabic. I can't speak Arabic. So that's a challenge. Um, And lo and behold, 11 days later, it's delivered, it's paid for, and I'm on to the next project. I remember I was desperately looking to recruit a new designer, just couldn't find the right person, then at one o'clock in the morning on a train coming back from London, these two girls were talking about how one of them could get a job as a designer. And I hired her. And you know, the rest is history. So having that timing and instinct to know when to lift your head out of the parapet and say something, you know, it takes balls to do that, I guess. Um, but it's also the belief that you can deliver um, and the thing for me about being a successful entrepreneur, as the person, forget about the business and the product, is all about comfort zone for me. So, the more I can push my comfort zone and do things that make me feel physically sick, but they won't kill me, that for me is a really good thing. Because the bigger my comfort zone, then the, the, the anything I can do anything. With it. What sort of things still make you feel sick? Oh, you know, I danced in front of six, seven hundred people at the Midsummer Ball uh, for Chestnut Tree House with Marcella Whittingdale from Heart FM. I am not a dancer, um, but we raised a hundred grand. It was amazing. So it's things like that, uh, often, you know, that's just not what I do for a living. But I'm game for, uh, I'm game for it, you know. So I'm, I'm, cli- I'm abseiling, uh, Arundel Castle uh, in September. Not a big fan of heights. So uh, if I can do good for a charity and conquer and increase my comfort zone, then everybody does all right, yeah. And what do you like about being a founder? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, you know, as it it comes with the rough and the smooth, um, you know, young, young entrepreneurs often, or people who want to go into business often ask me, what's it like being a CEO of so many companies? And, you know, I joke and sort of sometimes a bit like being a drug addict, you know, the highs are so high and the lows are so low, but you just cannot wait for that next deal or that next fix as such. So, I guess it's the, some of the times the responsibility that comes with it. When you've got all these people reliant on you, you know, you've got to pay the bills at the end of the month, um, and that comes with a level of responsibility and maturity that you can't go out on and buy your Porsche because you've got staff and a VAT bill to pay. Mm. But Has you're... that ever got particularly scary in the, in, over the course of the last 13 years? Um, no. I've always been very, very, very sort of conscious of my responsibility, I guess, to my team and my people. And I live quite a simple life, so I don't live an extravagant life. Um, and the business has always been really pretty profitable Um, and and now with the way the model is, cash flows is a a great model because of the residual income every month and with the sponsorship business we're getting large commissions on very very large deals so every deal there is like winning the lottery every year effectively Um, but there have been times where You know, clients might not, you know, may just be struggling to pay or, you know, there have been times clients haven't paid because they've gone under and stuff like that. But for me, that is, um, that's just the nature of the beast as part of the game. It's like being a footballer and moaning that you got injured. It's going to happen sometimes in your career and what's important is how you sort of
0: bounce back from it, get over it and move on really. Um, Just digging into one of your businesses in particular, say Creative Pod. how would you sort of categorise your customers in that business? Um, just sort of give us a, uh, a kind of, tell us about the structure of that business. You know, what, and what value do you offer those customers? Okay, so um, within Creative Pod, our client base is pretty much split into
1: to three groups. So 20, 25% of the client base are very entrepreneurial, fast-growth startups with investors behind them. Um, and then 60% of the client base are very established, you know, fast-growing SMEs, you know, one to 25 million turnover, all within Sussex, Surrey, Kent, London, and then we have a number of clients in Manchester as well, um, and uh, and then the the, the the last lot of clients are large corporates who have you know international offices, multi-million, billion-pound businesses, but they can't turn around stuff internally quick enough because they're big. So we're often an uh, an overflow offshoot for them and their activities. Um, as a business we only sell three things in CreativePod, well, three different retainers all on a fixed fee and one is, one is a retainer to market the business, one is a retainer to market the people, the founder, the CEO and then the third one is a commercial retainer where we will target 50, uh, 50 prospects, uh, we'll court them, we'll get you in front of them, we'll, we'll do our job to basically deliver a return on investment. And working with a marketing agency has got nothing to do with pretty pictures at all. It's all got to do with return on investment. So anybody engaging with a marketing agency shouldn't worry about the bill. The bill's the irrelevant bit, because if they're providing value and delivering, and you're getting an ROI, the bill becomes completely irrelevant. What's important with a marketing agency is that, as a client, you almost treat them a bit like you would your stockbroker never give me life savings, never give them more than who you can afford to lose and never expect to win every time. And I think a lot of agencies don't set the expectation correctly with clients. There isn't a magic wand that you can wave um, and when I sit in front of clients I always relate marketing to weight loss. If you, you've got to have the same mindset if you want to market your business to losing weight um, and there, it's almost identical. If you cheat, you don't lose weight, you know? And sometimes you'll lose weight really, really quickly, just like you'll market the business and you'll 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 see traction very very quickly, then it plateaus out, then you might win, then you might lose. So it's all about staying focused um, and having discipline. And the one thing, the one thing we can't give our clients is discipline unless we hit them. Um, but we give them creativity, we give them structure, a plan, a team, a resource, the creative, the idea. Um, and the one thing we try and instill is discipline because that's how you achieve results consistency and
0: discipline one of the things that quite a few of our that purpose struggle with when they're starting out is actually finding clients like how got any advice on how you can go out there and yeah. find clients and how can you maintain relationships with them I think if you're starting from a literally a blank canvas
1: and you've got nothing you know students today have got to remember you are in such a much better place than 10 years or 12 years ago you know when I started, twelve, thirteen years ago, if you didn't have any clients, you were just, or you were a newbie on the street, you were seen as useless because there was no proof in the pudding. Whereas now, if you're a young person trying to do something, everybody's a little more, a little bit more abrasive, abrasive yeah, and they, 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 they are um, aware of the support that they need to kind of give these young people who are starting businesses. So, I think everyone's a bit more receptive to it. Um, what I would say is do some work for free do some work for free Um, you'll build up your portfolio they'll then start recommending you and you won't be doing stuff for free for that person forever so you'll do the first project for free and then they'll start paying you Um, you know regardless of how much money you make or how big you are as a business team up with your local charity and they've got great PR teams They'll use you for overflow work. They've got corporate sponsors. Plus, you're doing something good. Now, I'm a firm believer that if you, if you do good as you make your money, you will have a bigger legacy. You'll have a lot. You'll have a lot more longevity, um, and and you'll just create a better culture for the business. I don't ever want people to remember me as to how I made my money. That's almost irrelevant. I want people to remember what I did with it, um, and that's that, that's just my personal thing.
0: Well, about any other sort of general advice about running a business anything what's really important money cash it's not a deal until the money's
1: in the bank that's my first thing it's all very nice having a signed contract but contracts often aren't worth the paper they're written on these days because uh, people can go under they can you know stuff happens but cash in the bank cash is king it's the most important thing understanding your numbers um, especially in for freelance designers you have to value your time. The amount of designers, creatives, one-man bands, and consultants that just don't know how to put a value to their time is uh, astonishing. So that is really, really important. The other thing is, and this for me is probably my most important thing, and I'm at a position when uh, in my career where I can be a bit picky, but chemistry, that for me is my number one factor. Because if there's not chemistry between us and the client, I don't want to work with them. I don't need them as a client and we will fall out. That's the thing, I already know that. Mm. So there has to be chemistry. And if there's not, then that's not a problem. But for me, for it to be successful, there has to be chemistry because we will always be best of buddies when things are going great and we're all making lots of money. But now and again, there are going to be times when things don't work and things fail. And that's when we need to be grown up about things, learn from it and move on. Um, and that's where chemistry plays a really, really, really interesting part. Um, and in, a, in an industry, that's, it's all about people. Well, you know, when you're in a service-based business, it's all about building relationships, having those contacts, and you know, literally in the last week, I've had about six or seven people call me and the last time i saw them was seven or eight years ago but they've all bloody called me in the same week so i'm a little bit paranoid Um, but it's amazing how how seeds that you planted so so long ago at some stage can come to fruition the key i think to being successful is i come across many many people in business who i would call semi-successful because they miss they're missing one core ingredient to their to their offering Mm -hmm. and that is if they were farmers they're very very good at planting the seeds and they're very very good at harvesting the crop but for whatever reason they just cannot water it and cultivate it and grow it and look after it Um, and for me you have to be able to do those three things succinctly and successfully to be able to have a profitable sustainable business you have to you know you have to be able to look after what you've got you're off looking for the next field to grow more um, and I see a lot of people fail around. Right.
0: Has anyone in particular been an inspiration for you in your business life?
1: Yeah, um, and all of them are absolute losers. Every single person in my career who's an inspiration to me are a loser and that, that is because I have spent so much time from such a young age playing Monopoly with other people's money and seeing so many idiots do it the wrong way you know the sort of people that would buy old kent road before park lane just because it was cheaper and we all know you don't win the monopoly by buying old kent road so um, yeah they're my inspiration because they're giving me so much knowledge firsthand at how not to do things how not to speak to people how not to treat people and I think it's almost impossible when you've got a figurehead or someone who inspires you who does it perfectly or brilliantly because it is so difficult to emulate somebody who, who does it so well but if you take your inspiration from people who just make a complete and utter hatchet of something, then you, you've got a really good chance of providing value and, and improving things and delivering, because you can see someone trying to
0: do it who just do not have a clue on how to facilitate or deliver what they're trying to do. Um, so, what, what about the next sort of 13 years with what you're doing? I'm sure you've got lots of ambitions. What would you where would you like to see yourself? Well. The next 10 years, I'll be hitting in my
1: 40s, which is quite frightening. Um, for me, as long as I'm having fun and I'm adding value, then you know I'm okay to play the long game. Um, I've also constructed my business in a way with the group set up that I'm looking to acquire or introduce other businesses to join the group, from events management to PR to um, AI uh, and other complementative services that can complement the uh, sponsorship business can complement the agency, the printers. So there's this is almost like this W, a mini WPP that actually works and isn't arrogant. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and we just have as much fun, but also being successful enough consistently, year after year after year, so I can still raise money for these charities that I'm involved with. I get a lot out of doing that. Um, you know, often because a lot of people say, "Oh, you'll never be able to do that." okay well watch me so again it's coming back to proving a point probably that massive chip on my shoulder Um, but that's really important to me to be able to do good as you do good and you know we can uh, you know we can also see together because the other thing about being a social entrepreneur or socially aware uh, about being an entrepreneur in that sense is that I know at some stage I will make mistakes I will let clients down I'll drop the ball I'll under deliver I know that will happen because that's life But if I've done all of this other good stuff and I'm a genuine, decent, hard-working, committed person, then my punishment will be a lot leaner than somebody who's all about the money, all about the bottom line, all about the profit. Um, So for me, it's a long game, and it's about building a legacy that's there to
0: stand the test of time, really, so, yeah. Now, I know that you're an investor in several companies. Um, Do you want to share any tips around that for, for students that may be interested in receiving investment? Yeah, sure. I mean, you've got to understand that
1: when you're looking for investment, not everybody will think your baby is as pretty as you do. And when you do finally come across that person who is just as passionate about your business and your baby as you are, it can often be a very, very, very magic moment. Because you're getting cash, real money with a Queen's face on it that enables you to do something with it. Well you've got to remember is getting an investor is more important and more stressful than getting married. And it is a marriage. You know, this person is giving you their children's inheritance for you to grow it. And you don't know this person often. You have sort of, you haven't really set parameters properly because you don't want to scare them off because you want their money and then all of a sudden you're in bed with somebody that has expectations that you can't meet or they wanna get involved in every last pound that you spend or they wanna micromanage you. So I think when you're when you're looking for investment, you need to find the right investor for you. So, and also the other thing is, is don't get an investor who can just give you money because nine times out of 10, the money's just an irrelevant, product that pays for the electricity you know what you need is contacts and opportunities and door openings that generate proper proper revenue so that's a really 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 important factor um yeah
0: where should students be looking to find investors do you think
1: you know you've got um your obvious ones your crowd you know crowd and those sort of uh, funding platforms um you've also got your angels den and uh your funding circles and some of those you know, bigger uh, high line high level kind of funding groups but then you've also got you know local philanthropic uh, investors across you know, Brighton and Hove there are many of them in fact so hunting them down um, but finding the right one who's who has got the skill set that you don't have or who's got contacts that you could really do with or who's got another portfolio of investments that you could complement um and service effectively so don't rush it and and actually genuinely ask yourself do i need that money do i really need that money could i work a night job could i put an extra shift in could i get a grant from somewhere um you know i've got friends that did a fat you know family and friends whip round, and, and now their family and friends are all very 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 wealthy um but, you know, that's a really important factor. Think twice before you say yes when it comes to investment.
0: Cool. So that was Matt. The Creative Group's website is thecreative.group and you can find him on Twitter. He's at MattTurnerUK. To find out more about Be Purple and the support that we provide University of Brighton students and graduates, go to bepurple.co.uk where you can also sign up for our free email newsletter. Got something to say about this podcast? Then send me an email. The address is bpurple at brighton.ac.uk. Thanks for listening. See you in a cafe soon for the next episode of Founder Chats.